0: Morning, and welcome to Connections Radio Show, where we talk about ideas that matter. I'm glad you've made the connection and are with us today. I'm Laurie Fitz, your host, and the goal of our show is to explore a wide range of topics that challenge us to see ourselves, our community, and the world around us to get us thinking, get us talking, get us having an opportunity to explore an idea in a new way, and perhaps have some aha moments that lead us to do something differently or act Differently, or take an opportunity to do something. And today, we're talking about the very important issue of anti-Semitism, and how it's showing up, it's showing up in our community, it's showing up in our country, and it's showing up in our world. And we want to do a deeper dive with people that um, think about this in in deep and powerful ways. And give us an opportunity to have this discussion. So we have uh, Senator Ron Latz, who has been an elected official for over 26 years and is currently serving your fourth term as a Minnesota State Senator. uh, And you've served both in the House and in the state. Thank you for being here. Good
1: to be with you, Lori.
0: I also have ethan roberts who is a lawyer and he is the director of government affairs for the jewish community relations council and we'll be referring it to as the GCRC, jcrc uh thank you for being here ethan
2: thank you i'm glad to be here
0: also have anthony sussman from the jcrc you are the director of communications and community security
3: yes lori thank you and thank you for addressing this important topic
0: well, I'm glad you're all here to have this conversation. We also have someone who's calling in um, who's from Minnesota originally. Uh, Aiden Pink is the deputy news editor for The Forward. Welcome, Aiden.
4: Thanks very much for having me.
0: Absolutely. In addressing the subject, I think it's really important to have a shared language of defining anti-semitism so that we're all on the same page and looking at because there's so many different ways that um, it has been mentioned or you hear about but let's get into the definition and i'm going to have ethan and anthony uh, share with us your definitions that that you think are um, important for us to think about
3: So let's start with the definition that the Anti-Defamation League uses, which I think is an important way to begin this conversation. The Anti-Defamation League defines anti-Semitism as the belief or behavior hostile towards Jews just because they are Jewish. It may take the form of religious teachings that proclaim the inferiority of Jews, for instance, or political efforts to isolate, oppress, or otherwise injure them. It may also include prejudiced or stereotyped views about Jews. Anti-Semitism is a form of hatred, mistrust, and contempt for Jews based on a variety of stereotypes and myths and often invokes the belief that Jews have extraordinary influence with which they conspire to harm or control society. It can target Jews as individuals, as a group, or as a people, or it can target the state of Israel as a Jewish entity.
0: One of the things that resonates for me for that is I so often hear it in terms of conspiracy. Ethan, share with us what's the... Why is that?
2: Uh, Thank you, Laurie. I think that conspiracy is exactly what makes um, anti-Semitism different uh, than other isms. So most isms uh, could fit into that first part of the defamation that Anthony read from the ADL about, you know, sense of inferiority and, and looking down. This would be the ism of uh, punching down. Anti-Semitism, more often than not, operates as a form of punching up. It's a belief that uh, Jews aren't inferior, but superior in a most malevolent sort of way. And so I think for over the course of the next hour we'll, we'll give examples of that. But to use an example that really resonated with me actually came from somebody who's not Jewish. Um, Eric Ward is an African-American, uh, and he's an expert on anti-Semitism and racism and, and fight—not just an academic. I mean, he, he fights anti-Semitism and racism and other forms of white supremacy uh, for, for a living. And he was uh, here about six months ago for uh, colleagues of ours at Jewish Community Action brought him to Minnesota. And he was talking about the civil rights struggle in the 1960s and how is it that a a white supremacist could understand losing to people, uh, in this case African-Americans, who they believed to be inherently inferior. It, it just couldn't make sense for them. And so the justification that they came up with was that they um, had actually been beaten by the Jews. The Jews had manipulated Congress, the president, the media, especially the media, to, um, you know, to, to pass these laws which were to them an anathema. And this conspiracy theory idea, it, it, it goes, goes back 2,000 years, and we can fast forward into now. Mm -hmm. So if you go back 2,000 years, um, I'm not saying that the idea of deicide is the first instance of anti-Semitism, that the Jews are responsible for the death of Christ collectively is the first instance of anti-Semitism, but it's historically the most important. And what's interesting about that is if, when one just reads the Bible, reads the New Testament, it's clear that the Romans are in charge, right? That mm-hmm. that Pontius Pilate is in charge, that, that the Jews are, are not in charge. That crucifixion is a Roman form of execution, and yet the Jews are blamed for the execution of, of Jesus mm-hmm. and not the Romans, as though the Jews were manipulating the Romans. Now you fast forward to, to Pittsburgh, the, the shooting at the Tree of Life Synagogue, um, the the murderer, the terrorist, um he was furious with the Jewish community because he blames the Jewish community, in particular, certain Jewish organizations like HIAS, the Hebrew Immigrant Aid Society, for um, white genocide for for you know bringing in hordes of of immigrants from from Latin America, and that again is that Jewish manipulation. And so, looking at anti-Semitism as being a conspiracy theory whereby Jews you know band together to manipulate world events. Uh, for the detriment of everyone else, is is what makes it such a persistent and structural hatred.
0: One of the things that strikes me about being a Minnesotan is that many people don't know that Minnesota was considered one of the worst anti Semites had the worst anti Semitism uh, post World War II and during that time period. And your father, Senator Lats, uh, wrote a book on this. Um, can you share? the context of, of how what happened during that time and how that feeds um, our, our history in Minnesota. Uh,
1: well, in the 1940s especially, uh, Minneapolis had a reputation as being the hotbed of anti-Semitism in the country. Mm. Um, you could not become a member of the uh, AAA, the American Automobile Association. Uh, you couldn't join any of the country clubs uh, as a result. Uh, the Jewish community formed their own country clubs. You couldn't get hospital admitting privileges as a a doctor. Uh, So hence, Mount Sinai Hospital, which is no longer with us, but that was formed um, as well, so the Jewish doctors had a place they could go to treat uh, their patients. Uh, The Minneapolis Club, uh, a very prominent business club in downtown Minneapolis, also did not allow Jewish members. Uh, So it was quite prominent then. Uh, There were restrictive covenants. We just passed a, a new law. Governor Walsh just signed it, allowing people to disavow the restrictive covenants in their property deeds mm-hmm. um, and among the restrictive covenants that are found in some deeds across the state, but especially um, in the Twin Cities, included a prohibition on land being sold to Hebrews mm. um, or, or Semites. The redlining. The redlining, yeah. um, and we still see those patterns. You saw the patterns in the mig- where the Jewish population lived um, in those days, and how it spread out. And you see similar patterns um, in the, where the African American community, mm-hmm. which was the primary target of a lot of those covenants, uh, and where they lived and still live today. Uh, so the Jewish community uh, concentrated in, in North Minneapolis, some in South Minneapolis, but mostly in the near North Side, and eventually moved out to Saint Louis Park, which is the area that I represent. I was born on the North Side. Uh, where my, my dad grew up, live in St. Louis Park now, um, and then the Jewish community has, with the removal of these, uh, both under under judicial law um, and eventually under state law, um, have spread out throughout uh, the, the Twin Cities and the state.
0: And it's only recently that this law has been put into place to to be able to address that redlining.
1: Well, just this year, we passed a statute which allows mm-hmm. a formal statement for people who look back on their property deeds and see these restrictive covenants mm-hmm. to say, "No, I don't agree with that." Good. Um, it doesn't actually remove the covenant, which has no legal purpose or value anymore, except a scar. Except a history. scar, but yeah. it's but it's a part of the of the property record. And there's, there are other reasons for maintaining the integrity of property records. Uh, but uh, the U.S. Supreme Court and the state Supreme Court had had uh, several decades ago ruled that these covenants were unconstitutional and illegal. And we passed the Fair Housing Act in Minnesota um, years ago that also formally made them of no effect. But the scar, the memory, the legacy lives on with us today.
0: And where communities feel the most safe and comfortable. Uh, based on the history of where they may not have been welcomed and where they do feel welcome and how why is it you know we, Minnesota has a reputation of Minnesota nice, We're a great place, but underneath that, there's not necessarily the same welcoming to all people. Um, and I see that our that many people are, are, are working to change that, but they may inadvertently while they're trying to change that, Use tropes uh, that are painful, and they're doing that today. Um, I know we only have a couple minutes to at least get this conversation started about the tropes, but I, I would really like to hear how people can be trying to do the right thing but use tropes inappropriately and not even know that they're tropes and cause pain. Whoever would like to start with that one? I will let well, I'll, I'll just take a first <laughs>
1: shot at yeah. it. Uh, I want to expand your question a little bit. Because sure. it's, it's some people who want to do the right thing and don't realize these tropes are tropes. Mm-hmm. And they use them. And there are others who know very well. Yes,
0: and are very specific. And very and,
1: specific about the language that they choose. Point and, well taken. And the, and the right. tropes are about using language, uh, classical language. Uh, you know, the Jews killed Christ. Um, the Jews control the money. Um, and uh, uh, and they use those as a spear uh, to put down um, Jews that are involved in, uh, in the community, uh, put down the point and the goal of what members of the Jewish community may be uh, advocating for, um, to try to elevate their own position mm-hmm. as well. Uh, but the, the impact of these tropes um, is really devastating because rather than arguing on the merits of a particular position or policy uh, it's it's in the nature of an ad hominem attack you know the the Latin term for attacking the person rather than the idea Mm -hmm. Uh, and that's essentially what it's doing its demeaning diminishing attempting to undermine the particular idea or issue that's in dispute By attacking the messenger, Mm -hmm. discrediting the messenger, and in a way that um, doesn't really allow for a response on the merits.
0: Right. It's been sidelined. Right. Well, we'll talk more about that in our our next segment. Uh, We'll open up the conversation to how is it being used as a political football, and what does that look like? So thank you for being with us today and sharing in this conversation, and I encourage you to stay with us. and learn more about how this is impacting our lives today this is connections radio show here on am 950 the progressive voice
5: of minnesota i'm peter Rackler from the east side freedom library and i'd like to tell you about an historic place on Payne avenue brunson's pub is a place where history and passion are a part of every detail starting with the menu The pain neighborhood arose from Dakota people, who lived here for hundreds of years, and pioneering immigrant communities, Irish, Swedes, German, and Italians, who made the East Side their home. More recently, waves of new residents from Asia, Latin America, and Africa continue the rich immigrant history and are revitalizing the community's cultural life and economy. Come experience Brunson's Pub at 956 Payne Avenue and grab a discounted gift card when you mention that you're an AM 950 listener or a supporter of the Eastside Freedom Library. Be sure to check out Brunson'sPub.com.
6: The award-winning Hazel's Northeast combines the feel of a small-town diner with the vibrant nature of its northeast Minneapolis neighborhood. Whether it's breakfast, lunch, weekend brunch, or dinner, their classically inspired and creatively prepared American comfort food is always made from scratch. Hazel's Northeast at 29th and Johnson in Northeast Minneapolis. EatlocalMinnesota.com. The dedicated staff at Nightingale Restaurant take pride in presenting a thoughtful and delicious approach to food and drink, whether you're visiting for dinner, happy hour, or brunch. Their focus on made-from-scratch meals using sustainable and local ingredients is likely to make Nightingale your go-to spot for inspired food and drinks. Nightingale, Lyndale and 26th in Minneapolis.
1: Hello, humans. This is me, Ellie Krug, with Ellie 2.0 Radio on Monday mornings from 7 to 8 a.m. This week's show is a hodgepodge. I'll talk about a panel I was on in Chicago and the role of straight, white color men in championing diversity in the legal profession. And the big interview will be with folks from Minnetonka High School regarding their program of lettering and community service. What an idealistic idea. Ellie 2.0 Radio, engaging in real on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota
6: weekend is almost here and there is something for everyone from the Friday night beer dabbler on the 21st featuring 50 local brewers to pride in concert on Saturday June 22nd in Loring Park with the headliner TLC and you can't forget about the rainbow run leading into the Ashley Rooks pride parade on Sunday June
0: 23rd this is a festival and celebration you do not want to miss get your tickets now registration for the rainbow run 5k is still open go to tcpride.org that's tcpride.org we'll see you there Welcome back to Connections Radio Show, where we talk about ideas that matter. Our topic today is on anti-Semitism. How is it showing up in our community, our country, and the world? And what do we need to do differently? And how can we be part of making a difference and changing? How can we recognize it uh, more fully? And looking at not only others, but looking within ourselves as well. And to have that conversation and to be exploring this topic, I have Senator Ron Latz. Welcome. Thank you. So glad you're here. Ethan Roberts, who is Director of the Government Affairs at the JCRC, which is the Jewish Community Relations Council. Welcome, Ethan. Thank you so much. Anthony Sussman, the Director of Communications and Community Security at JCRC. Thank you. And Aiden Pink, who I didn't get into the conversation in our first segment, but I am going to expect you to join in for this sec- uh, second segment. Aiden is the deputy news uh, editor for The Forward, uh, originally from Minnesota. Hello. Hi, Aiden. So we started our, we ended our conversation uh, after the first segment discussing um, about tropes and how they're used. I think it's also important, uh, as we were talking between the segments here, to list some of those tropes so that folks can understand them and give some examples uh, of how they are used. Um, I think I really appreciated Senator Latz's um, overview about how they can be used in a powerful way to derail the issue uh, and attack the person and not the issue. But in this segment, let's let's explore some more about how is that used as a political football. So, Aiden, do you want to kick us off with that?
4: Yeah, I mean, I think what has happened with Congresswoman Ilhan Omar over the past year really has been uh, instructive and educational, maybe inadvertently educational for a lot of people in terms of what some of these tropes are and how they can be damaging. Um, It started when she was uh, running in the primary last year, and people uncovered a tweet um, that was written during one of Israel's uh, wars with Hamas and Gaza, um, saying that Israel had hypnotized the world. Um, you know, alleging that Jews have uh, magic powers that are being used for nefarious means is one that's been used as an excuse for literally thousands of years to, to target Jews violently. Um, and a lot of people, when they discovered that, took uh, issue with that, even though from her perspective she was criticizing uh, Israel's conduct in a war. And then subsequently, when she was elected, you know, she had the infamous tweet that American support or congressional support for Israel is all about the Benjamin, um, implying that uh, American Jews, particularly those affiliated with the pro-Israel lobby APAC, um, were using their money to, to control the government, as, as we mentioned before. You know, the powerful Jew working behind the scenes to control the government is a classic one that's used in really hateful anti-Semitic tracts, like the Protocols of the Elders of Zion was used in communist anti-Semitism and in Nazi anti-Semitism. Um, and then subsequently, when she was doing damage control, you know, she, when she was talking at a bookstore in D.C., she said, you know, she asked why it's okay for people to push for allegiance to a foreign country. One of the other... Uh, tropes that's been used uh, very often throughout the, the second to is to imply that Jews are insufficiently loyal to their home countries, that their loyalties lie um, only with Israel or only to the Jewish people, um, you know, when in fact American Jews serve in the American military at the same rate as the general population. So all of those things that the congresswoman said, for which uh, she subsequently, or at least for most of them, she subsequently apologized and said that she didn't know the origin of these tropes and 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 pledged to you know educate herself further with Jewish organizations i think a lot of what got lost in this controversy is that because congresswoman omar is the subject of so many frankly bad faith attacks and islamophobic attacks right. from the right people naturally got defensive but what i think they and you know what i think people miss is that american jews especially in her district were genuinely offended by what she said because they reflected you know terrible, uh, you know, experiences and and tropes that, in many cases, they themselves had had come across and been attacked with, you know, so much so that Congressman Dean Phillips, who is Jewish and also the neighboring representative, he he said himself that he was uh, offended by it, as did several other uh, Jewish members of Congress. Well, especially when
0: those tropes in the past were used to persecute, and that there was horrible ramifications because of that. um, That pain... Um, mm-hmm. that pain needs to be understood and and not just put yeah. into, well, it's just a statement. No, it represents history and it represents um, a persecution.
4: Yeah, and that's exactly right. And, you know, uh, Congresswoman Omar said that, and I think she admitted subsequently that making these kind of arguments in tweet form isn't the best way to do it, that she was trying to make a point about, you know, the influence of lobbying groups similar right. to – the NRA, for example, when she was making the point about AIPAC, but, you know, the the response to that is American Jews, as well as any other American citizens, have the right to donate to politicians who support their causes and to advocate in the political process, which, for better or for worse, involves donating money. And, you know, saying that American Jewish involvement, because polling has shown that around 93% of American Jews consider themselves to be pro-Israel, although much of that 93% also consider themselves to be critical of several Israeli policies, because most American Jews consider themselves to be pro-Israel, it stands to reason that they're going to donate to uh, candidates or causes that that support uh, the Jewish state, and saying that that is somehow illegitimate, you know, puts Jews on a different uh, framework, a different pedestal than anyone else, which is, uh, you know, another form of bigotry.
0: I think it's important for our liberal audience to not only look at what we assume initially is an issue on the right that there are issues that we face um, from the liberal point of view, and this is a good example. But there are others as well. Um, and what is how are how are we being inclusive in our liberal progressive party, and do we create that welcome or do we put us uh, put in place? Uh, certain rules, unwritten or whatnot, that folks can't bring their full authentic uh, selves to the party. Um, Ron, you see it on both sides. You see the challenges. What are some things that our progressive audience should be thinking about?
1: Uh, Well, I think, first of all, we need to be very careful how we use our language when we're discussing policy questions. Mm -hmm. Um, If you keep focused on the policy itself, um, and uh, and can have vigorous debates, as we in the Jewish community mm-hmm. often have. Um, pro and con different positions that the Israeli government is taking or mm-hmm. different actions that they're taking. Um, keep it focused on the policy um, and not so much on the religious source right. or the religion of the person who's making the, the argument one way or the other. Um, that helps. Uh, you know, if Representative Omar had said, that she has concerns about the influence of money in politics as a general matter.
0: Then that would have been one
1: thing. I would agree with that. Yeah. Um, But how she put it made a difference. Mm -hmm. Um, And then almost as troubling is the fact that many of her uh, defenders and supporters, um, and Aidan alluded to this, uh, their response was not to acknowledge that what she had used was anti-Semitic tropes, um, but instead was to say, we're attacking her only because she's a Muslim and mm-hmm. she's a woman.
0: And so we double down on the, the down issue on of not the policy, right. but the person. So that and, and, was a way and of ignoring it and, and dismissing it as right. irrelevant or
1: or inaccurate, mm-hmm. um, claiming that our motivation was bias
7: mm-hmm.
1: when, in fact, that had nothing to do with it. Uh, So I think we've got to be careful how we use our language um, in that way. Mm
0: -hmm. Ethan, what are your thoughts on that?
2: So earlier I was talking about the civil rights movement and Mm -hmm. the conspiracy theory that that's, you know, it's a Jewish manipulation. You see some echoes of this with the Israel debate. You know, not only are overwhelming majority of American Jews supportive of the U.S.-Israel relationship, so are an overwhelming majority of Americans, and you know maybe the reason why Congress is, uh, you know, pro-Israel and and most Minnesotans are because we have good arguments, because we build relationships, because we organize. We do all the things which all American citizens are encouraged to do in our democracy. But if you go straight to the Benjamins, you go straight to hypnosis, then you're you're doing a disservice to, you know, I mean the intellect of decision-makers and of, of the people of this country and of the state, who have heard the arguments and have decided that they don't think that Israel is, is inherently evil. They do believe that there's, there's value in this relationship between our country and our state and Israel, and that in this very difficult conflict, there is blame on both sides.
0: Well, in our next segment, we're going to go a little deeper and look at what's happening right in our own community in Minnesota, what are some issues that we're facing, uh, and things we want everyone to be aware of and talk about and think about, because these are what affects one affects all, and we all need to do better and be better. And you're listening to Connections Radio Show here on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota.
8: Wild dancing, boisterous music, and a love story set against the backdrop of the Bosnian War. Park Square Theater presents Heaven by Theater in Residence Flying Foot Forum. A tale of finding common ground rather than fighting those who are different from us. Friendship, love, and painfully beautiful moments come to life through heart-stopping, percussive dance. Balkan party music performed by Orke star BZ May. And driving songs by Chan Polig of the Suburbs. Heaven runs May 31st through June 23rd. Find out more at parksquaretheater.org.
7: This is New Beginnings, hosted by award-winning broadcaster and speaker, Freddie Bell.
8: Freddie, this generation of the baby boomers, people are living longer, so the baby boomers are taking care of elderly parents.
9: Let's talk about your health, and specifically, let's talk about Medicare. Our show features the concerns of America's 78 million baby boomers in employment, finance, health and nutrition, and even entertainment. Catch New Beginnings with Freddie Bell, Saturdays at 11 on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota.
1: Hi, I'm Peter Solak. And I'm Adam Ostrowski. We are here at Woodland Stoves and Fireplaces to talk about outdoor fires. Sitting around a fire is the oldest,
3: most basic form of human activity. What's new is in the way fire is burned. We can show you how to burn cleaner with a lot less smoke.
1: The radiant heat and life from an open fire is unmatched. It kindles our spirits and connects us to the outdoors. And now it's easier to experience and enjoy.
3: Woodland stoves and fireplaces sells and installs wood and gas burning fire pits and fireplaces. Let us help you experience an outdoor fire without all the smoke.
1: Come see the many ways you can enjoy a fire outdoors.
6: Woodland Stoves and Fireplaces has over 35 working wood and gas units on display at the corner of East Franklin and Riverside Avenue in Minneapolis. More information at WoodlandStoves.com. Find the fire that works for you. Woodland Stoves and Fireplaces, out of the ordinary products and services since 1977.
5: Hi, Gregory Rich, Founder and Chief at Habitation Furnishing and Design, and now I'd like to invite you to kill your Sunday evenings with me, right here on AM 950 with Drink in the Style. It's a one-hour-long conversation about interior design, art, architecture, and pretty much anything else, visual and aesthetic, all while enjoying some booze handcrafted by our friends at Gianni's Steakhouse in downtown Wyzetta. Can you think of a better way to spend Sunday evenings? Drink in the Style Sundays. 5 p.m. I'm Peter Rackliff from the East Side Freedom Library, and I'd like to tell you about an historic place on Payne Avenue, Brunson's Pub. Experience history and passion through the delicious menu, reflecting the East Side's diversity. The choices are limitless: salads, sandwiches, burgers, and shareable plates. Visit Brunson's Pub at 956 Payne Avenue, and grab a discounted gift card when you mention that you're an AM 950 listener or a supporter of the Eastside Side Freedom Library be sure to check out Brunson'sPub.com.
8: With your AM 950 weather, I'm Hunter Haas. Tonight, thunderstorms likely. Low around 63. Saturday mostly cloudy with a high near 79. And Sunday chance of showers. High near 80. Create an environmental legacy at Prairie Oaks Memorial Eco Garden, Minnesota's first green cemetery. Green cemeteries do not allow toxic embalming fluids, metal caskets, concrete vaults, or standing grave markers. Green cemeteries are green spaces. They often look like parks. To find out more about Prairie Oaks Memorial Eco Gardens. Visit mngreengraves.com.
0: Welcome back to Connections Radio Show, where we talk about ideas that matter. And the idea that we're talking about today is one that's more than 2,000 years old, and we're still grappling with anti-Semitism and how it shows up. And how do we need to think about it? How do we need to talk about it? How do we need to make some changes? Um, And I've got some great people who are giving us insights and ideas to think about in terms of making new connections in our awareness and how we may want to approach the subject in the future. I have Senator Ron Latz. Welcome. Hi, Lori. So glad to have you here. Been in politics for – forever since you, you were knee-high and realized that there was politics in your family uh, and have been serving in politics for the last 26 years. I have Ethan Roberts, who is a lawyer and a director of government affairs at JCRC, which is the Jewish Community Relations Council.
2: Thank you. Glad to be here. Glad
0: you're here. And I have Anthony Sussman, who's also with JCRC. He's the director of communications and also community security. Thank you, Lori and Aiden Pink, deputy news editor for Forward. So glad you're here, Hello. Aiden. Thank you.
3: Thanks
4: for having me.
0: So, in this segment, uh, I'd like us to to be looking at a, an issue that comes up uh, in terms of how are we looking at our relationship with Israel, um, and and how does that impact? what we how we look at things in israel and look at folks that are um calling names and trying to figure out where do we stand and what is this all about we have commentators that have that that believe that a criticism of israel is anti-semitic Yet many Jews also criticize actions of the Israeli government and and actions they take. How can one really tell the difference between the legitimate criticisms of Israel and ones that are considered anti-Semitic? And I also want to touch on this and what's happening on the college campuses. So, Ethan, I'd love to have you start us off in thinking about this concept.
2: It's a great question. Um, It's a particularly great question because I think that there's – a misconception that any criticism of the Israeli government or of Israel is inherently anti-Semitic. Um, we at the JCRC don't believe that. And in fact, actually, if, if we if we did believe that, then we ourselves would be anti-Semites because our organization um, on occasion has also been publicly critical of the Israeli government. Where we cross the line into anti-Semitism um, depends a part among what are you arguing for and how are you arguing it. So if what you're arguing for is that Israel should be a better country, that Israel's government should be a better government and it should, um, you know, treat the Palestinians a, a different way or way in its own society, then it's probably not anti-Semitic however if the aim of your criticism is not on the positions of a policy much as like we might be critical of the positions or politics of our own country but on whether the country is a legitimate nation whether it should exist then we we very well may cross the line into anti-semitism If the person who's making that argument doesn't otherwise think that other countries are illegitimate, right? So if you're somebody who doesn't believe in any country, okay, fine. (laughs) But I don't know many of those people, right? And so, you know, of all the fear and anger that people may have uh, nationally towards our country right now or many Americans may have, don't really ever hear the argument that the United States should should cease being a country or it was founded in some sort of, you know, uh, I mean, it's just per se illegitimate. So unfortunately, much of what is uh, known as the boycott, divestment, and sanctions movement is simply about creating the conditions where Israel ceases to exist. And they're clever. They, they often won't admit to that. But if you look at the prongs, or if you look at actually the rhetoric of the founders of the movement, they're, they're clear enough that that is the goal of the movement, is that they're not looking for a two-state solution. They're looking for um, the one-state solution of, of, of Palestine uh, from the river to the sea. That's something I mean, they chant. So that would be the entirety of it. Now, what happens with the uh, the 9 million Israeli citizens, um, citizens, of which 80% or so are, are Jewish, God only knows. Mm -hmm. Um, Additionally, beyond just the goals, it's also the rhetoric and the tactics which are used. So if you use rhetoric which is particularly painful and and intended to hurt by comparing, let's say, Israel to the Nazis, right, or saying that what is being, you know, what is going happening in Gaza is genocide or or worse than the Holocaust, then your rhetoric is so unmoored from reality, it's so untethered from anything that's intellectually fair, that that is also anti-Semitic. Because, again, it's it's demonizing, you know, the Jewish state. You know, the, over half the world's Jews live in Israel. Um, and there's also just um, a couple other th- things which are real misunderstandings about um, about Jews and and about Israel. So taking the latter first, often Israel is presented as a, a settler, settler colonial project. Um, half of Israel's people are from the Middle East. Half. And, and increasing, increasing percentage. And additionally... Um, you know, Judaism is the religion of the Jewish people. But we understand ourselves uh, differently than, than other other communities. We, uh, many of us at least, understand ourselves to be a people. A people who have a particular faith, which is Judaism. But we're a people deeply connected to our indigenous homeland, which is the land of Israel, which is literally Judea. It's where you get the words, word Jew. And so to try to fit us in someone else's box, to try to say, well, Jews can't have a country because they're just a religion... That's to use concepts which are somewhat outside of Judaism, outside of Jewish people, to try to define us. It also doesn't help solve conflicts when you seek to – you don't allow people to define themselves as as, as they see fit. So um, the lines are out there, and you know to some extent you know it when you see it. But the two main things to keep in mind are if the goal is to destroy the country, not just make it better, that's anti-Semitic. And if the rhetoric you're using is you know evocative of Nazis or the Holocaust or genocide, things which are factually unsupported and they're just – Creating a monster. Creating a monster, creating right. a conspiracy theory, then that also too is anti-Semitic.
0: And you've seen – challenges on the campus college campuses
4: and i think it's it's coming from a few different places i mean the, the first thing is that we're seeing a, a rising uptick of white nationalism and extremist groups trying to recruit on college campuses including in some cases, college Republicans bringing in anti-Semitic white nationalists as, as guest speakers. It, it, it's small, admittedly, but but it is a rising trend that that we've definitely seen reported on. You know, combined with that, we've seen a lot of reports, both in colleges and in high school, of of. Uh, students you know using holocaust memes or imagery for drinking games posting hateful things on instagram that you know they think it's it's just a joke i mean we saw something similar happen at i believe minnetonka high school earlier this year of a student you know using swastikas to ask kids to prom that doesn't go away when they turn 18 and go to college but one of the one of the biggest things that 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 we've noticed um that jewish college students have told us they've encountered problems with is, is with bbs and particularly with um, campus resolutions or referenda to call on the universities to divest from uh, the companies that do business in Israel because of uh, what they see as uh, those companies' complicity in Israel's actions in the West Bank. Um, and, you know, a lot of times these students are very well-meaning. They, they identify what they see as, a, you know, a legitimate uh, human rights issue, um, and they want to do something about it which is all to the good but sometimes they either inadvertently or because they've glommed onto to things that, that were mentioned earlier you know repeat the the anti-semitic tropes that that uh we've talked about i mean one of the one of the things that's that's most uh problematic for a lot of jewish students is when um bds uh, advocates on campus you know are either you know out front about or you know sort of try to hide but eventually admit that they. Uh, want to see one state um in puts now both israel and west bank and gaza which would eliminate you know the only jewish state you know again I, I don't want to repeat it you know if you if you decide as a as a point of um of personal ethics not to not to buy products from israel because you disagree with government policies you know that that's fine and understandable, but if it's only boycotting from, you know, the Jewish state and not boycotting Chinese products because they're putting Muslims in concentration camps or Mm -hmm. boycotting Saudi products or Iranian products because of the uh, terrible human rights abuses there, you know, it it, it does ring as anti-Semitic, and because these college students, just by virtue of their youth, aren't as familiar with the tropes they may inadvertently be espousing, uh, you know, as Jews, we grow up, you know, I'm part of the last generation that personally knows Holocaust survivors. But every, you know, every Jew I know, even if they don't grow up that attached to, the organized Jewish community go to synagogue that often, you know, we, we know what it sounds like when people are bigoted towards us. So even when these students don't realize it themselves, um, it, it definitely has happened.
0: I think it's important to look at um, when someone is feeling uncomfortable. Uh There can be an environment that is hostile outright, and then there can be the subtle hostilities. Um, I'd like to have uh, Anthony share what what are your perceptions of what's happening on the college campus and and how are college students uh, dealing with the both overt and uh, maybe uh, subtext uh, hostility?
3: Yeah, I think that on college campuses, Jewish students can feel very uncomfortable you know, walking around campus if they're wearing a Star of David, or if they're going to a week where they're supporting Israel uh, at Hillel, for example. And I think it can create a situation where Jewish students, when they're leaving home for the first time, are in an environment where they don't feel welcome necessarily. And I think that this can create a situation in the United States where Jewish students feel marginalized uh, for their Jewish identity or their support uh, for Israel.
0: Mm -hmm. And we were talking earlier about, you know, you can debate what's worse. Well, it's all bad.
2: Right. It's it's all bad and it's all somewhat different. Mm -hmm. I mean, I do think that all forms of anti-Semitism have the conspiracy theory element in common. But the kinds of concerns, and I know we'll talk about this a little later in the conversation, which, you know, require synagogues to hire, you know, Private security or yeah. or, or higher, you know, uniformed police to protect them is a different kind of concern than what would have happened, for example, um, at the Dike March. And I'm not mm-hmm. trying to be pejorative, but in D.C., you know, there was a just last weekend um, a march organized, and um, somewhat ironically, it was actually a couple of the Jewish organizers uh, decided that. Not only would they ban the Israeli flag and and only the Israeli flag, um, no other nation's flag was banned, um, but even the Jewish – like the universally recognized Jewish um, pride flag, which is Mm – it looks like a pride flag and it has the Star of David on it. And And the Star of David has been a symbol of the Jewish people for a couple thousand years, but apparently it was too evocative of – the Israeli flag, again, which just yesterday had, I think, several hundred thousand people marching in the pride parade in Tel Aviv. Mm-hmm. Um, does that make Israel perfect in every way because they had a few hundred thousand people marching in Tel Aviv? No, but, I mean, if the organizing principle of this march is 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 gay pride, why on earth are mm-hmm. the only flags you're targeting are the Jewish flag and the Israeli flag? Um, again, Israel is, for most American Jews, most Jews somewhat core to our identity and to tell somebody you have to choose between being your authentic self or being welcomed in this progressive space is I think why we're sitting here today with you right now mm-hmm. because it's not okay and it's not going to further any of the aims that that progressives want you know it's it's just it's incredibly divisive um you see this, for example on college campuses where you know Jewish students who are affiliated with Hillel which is the Center for Jewish Student Life at, at most college campuses and is also a, a, a Zionist organization, are, are not welcome to have conversations not about Israel, but about like food at the cafeteria, about halal and, and kosher options, because that would be seen as normalization. Like we can't Israel is must be treated as an abnormal country. We can't sit down with Israelis. And we can't even sit down with American Jews who also believe in Israel. I'm not sure how any Palestinians life was ever improved based upon mm-hmm. that, and we certainly know it makes college life uh, often miserable. Mm-hmm. It's different, of course, than being killed while praying, right? Right. right. But th- but, it, but still, it. fortunately, you're, you're much more likely to be made miserable at college campus than you are to be killed at prayer. Both are important. Both are things which the JCRC and, and others in the community are working really hard on, but they're not exactly the same, and um, I've never had a conversation at work with, like, well, this is worse, so we should not focus on the other thing. No. It that, doesn't help. It's all,
0: and we're talking about anti-semitism and in our next segment we're going to be looking at what can we do and there are things we can do there are steps to make a difference there are steps that everyone can participate and make changes and I'm going to be asking my audience to be thinking about that and uh, devoting themselves to make a change because that's what's going to make our connection even stronger and better and uh, our world a better place as well So we're listening to Connections Radio Show here on AM 950, the Progressive Voice of Minnesota. And I'm glad you've made the connection and are with us today. We have one more segment,
8: so stay with us. It's going to be a good one. Wild dancing, boisterous music, and a love story set against the backdrop of the Bosnian War. Park Square Theater presents Heaven by Theater in Residence Blind Foot Forum. A tale of finding common ground rather than fighting those who are different from us. Friendship, love, and painfully beautiful moments come to life through heart-stopping percussive dance. Balkan party music performed by Orkiz star BZ May. And driving songs by Chan Polig of the suburbs. Heaven runs May 31st through June
7: 23rd. Find out more at parksquaretheater.org. Hello, Twin Cities listeners. Tom Hartman here. Join me for a talk on Saturday, June 29th at Next Chapter Booksellers. That's at 38 South Snelling Avenue. It's at 7 p.m. Mass shootings are on the rise. So what's holding the U.S. back from enacting change? The Hidden History of Guns in the Second Amendment, my new book, is an in-depth, historically informed view of the role guns have played throughout American history from early European settlement to the Revolutionary War and Manifest Destiny, through the use of the slave patrols in the Deep South, which became the well-regulated militias so debated in 1787, to the recent school massacres. Plus, I'll talk solutions and sign books. In fact, a whole spectrum of my books. So if you have questions, come. We'll be doing a Q&A. Put it on your calendar. Saturday, June 29th at 7 p.m., Join me at Next Chapter Booksellers, 38 South Snelling Avenue. Look forward to seeing you there and bring your questions. Tag your it. Chances
9: are after spring cleaning you missed a spot. A couple really big spots, like your roof and siding. Run your fingers across your siding. You'll likely get a gross residue. And your roof probably has some black streaks too. Your roof and siding aren't always easy to clean, but they're definitely the most visible parts of your home that give it its curb appeal. So let Blue Sky Services clean your roof and siding. Blue Sky's safe soft wash method won't cause any damages and will make your home look like new. Right now, Blue Sky Services is running their summer special where you can get your whole house, roof and siding clean starting at only $447. That's the most viewed parts of your home clean for only $447. Then mention AM 950 when you call Blue Sky Services to get an additional $50 off. So get the curb appeal back on your home and call Blue Sky Services at 952-467-2447. That's 952-467-2447. Hi, Matt McNeil for Rudy Luther Toyota. It's so amazing when two of your favorite things come together, like the new Toyota RAV4 having a hybrid version. Stylish, energy efficient, and tough, you can't find a better combination. A showstopper interior with intuitive technology, the look which gets you noticed, and the durability for all types of driving. And the RAV4 hybrid received the NHTSA 5-star overall safety rating. Test drive one today. Stop by Rudy Luther Toyota, 5 miles west of downtown Minneapolis on 394.
0: Welcome back to Connections Radio Show. I'm Laurie Fitz, your host. And we've been talking about anti-Semitism, looking at it squarely, defining it. uh, Where is it showing up? How is it showing up? And in this segment, what can we do about it as well? I've got great uh, guests today that are sharing insights with our community, our, our AM950 progressive community. I have Senator Ron Latz, who has been elected official for 26, but has been in politics for just about forever since he's been growing up. Uh, Thank you, Senator Latz, for being here today. Thanks, Lori. Uh, We have Ethan Roberts, who is the Director of Government Affairs at the Jewish Community Relations Council for, that's Minnesota and the Dakotas. Yes. And uh, thank you. Welcome for being here. I'm glad to be here. I also have uh, Aiden Anthony uh, Sussman, who's the Director of Communications and Community Security from JCRC as well. And Aidan Pink, uh, who is the Deputy News Editor for The Forward. So welcome to you all. Thank you. In our last segment, I'd love to have uh, Senator Latz share the political state political uh, issues that impact this. And um, what has been opened up, especially in these last few years, that we, we see it more starkly in our politics?
1: Well, I think we're, we're seeing um, either apologies or non-action on the part of uh, many uh, public officials, uh, those who are in the media and who are uh, saying things using language that appears to give the green light or give permission for people to act out mm-hmm. or to copy them. Um, you know, when the president says that there are good people on both sides of the white nationalist march. Um, that's, and, terrifying. And that's terrifying. That's and, terrifying. And you saw violence resulted in, in Charlottesville as well. Um, you know, there was a patron at a restaurant. Um, in Minnesota uh, a couple of years ago who uh, was attacked because she uh, was a Muslim and mm-hmm. uh, was wearing garb and speaking in her native language right. as well as in English with her family. And that was the, what prompted me to introduce a bill that uh, enhanced bias crimes for assaults uh, in Minnesota. Uh, the problem is when you've got those kinds of messages coming from the media and from the public officials, it appears to give permission for people to act out violently, and so we need to condemn it where we see it and to stop using language that contributes to that kind of an atmosphere.
0: And we've seen horrors; uh, we've seen synagogues be attacked, both in our country and Australia. So we're seeing it all over the world. Um, that that make us feel, what can we do? And we don't always know what that answer is. Um, I know, Anthony, you have been working with people that want to make a difference and come together and support it. Can you share what are some tangible things that we can do?
3: Yes. uh, Oak Creek, Creek, Charleston, uh, Christchurch, Pittsburgh, Poway, Sri Lanka. These are all places where people who were gathered in prayer were killed uh, by far-right extremists. Um, You know, an attack on a mosque is an attack on a church, is an attack on a temple, is an attack on a synagogue. Uh, We are working with our federal, state, and local law enforcement partners, the Jewish community, and the Muslim community locally here in Minnesota to ensure our safety. Thanks to the leadership at the Minnesota State Legislature this year, we worked on something called the Nonprofit Security Grant Program, which provides funds to houses of worship to better protect their environments uh, through physical security measures. It's also just a matter of being good neighbors, <laughs> calling it out where you see it, being there for your neighbors, being supportive in public schools. If you're a student and you see a Muslim student who's being targeted for wearing a hijab, you know, be there for that student and try to be a, an ally and a bystander that can help them. Um, we see it through our Holocaust ed- education programs as well. This is a very good avenue for the Jewish community to get into public schools and to get into churches and other civic organizations um, to teach about the Holocaust and so that we can learn um, and, from the lessons of the Holocaust and how that can apply today.
0: And neighbors can support neighbors to make that happen and to advocate and to be there. Um, Want to have everyone have an opportunity to give a suggestion to my audience? Ethan?
2: So I think to echo what Senator Lautz said earlier, um, everyone needs to stop playing political football of anti-Semitism. If you see anti-Semitism within your own ranks, even if the person they're targeting is someone that you also don't agree with, or a position or cause you don't agree with, it's incumbent upon you to, to condemn it or to at least call it out because you're gonna have the credibility with that person in a way that your political opponents won't. It does us no good to just, you know, to mix our metaphors here, um, you know, for the New Testament to just look at the anti-semitism that comes from the other side, you know.
0: Senator Latz.
2: Whether it's on the left or the right, condemn it where you see it, and be really
1: careful what you say yourself, that you're not contributing to an atmosphere of violence or intolerance
4: or lack of acceptance.
0: Aiden, last word. Uh,
4: Make a point to meet your neighbors who may be different than you, and if they say that They are offended by something that you say. Believe them.
0: And you're listening to Connections Radio Show. We're glad you're here and glad you made the connection.